Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to episode number 48 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host for the show, Alison Colley. I'm a solicitor and employment law specialist and thank you very much for tuning in today. For those of you who have listened before, welcome back. And for those of you who are new, thanks for tuning in. This podcast is to bring you updates on employment law and HR best practice. And this week, I'm going to be focusing on something that's been arising quite a lot recently with my clients. I've had a number of questions about holiday pay and holiday pay issues. And so I thought we've covered holiday pay in a number of the podcast episodes and also on my blog. And I thought it would be useful to have a focus today on holiday pay and answer some frequently asked questions. So without further ado, I'm going to get straight into this week's episode. Now, as I said in the introduction, today I'm going to be focusing on holiday entitlement and holiday pay for employees. Now, this comes off the back of several questions I've received recently and one from an employee, which I was a little bit surprised about to start with. And then when I started to think about it, I thought, well, is this the question that arises in many people's minds? And so that's why I decided to focus on holiday pay and holiday entitlement and answer some frequently asked questions. So what is holiday pay and holiday entitlement and what's the background to it? Well, holiday entitlement has been set out by European law. So the EU set out the Working Time Directive, which basically states that all member states must ensure that every worker is entitled to paid annual leave of at least four weeks. And then the individual conditions and how it's dealt with practically can be set out by the individual member states. So across Europe, all of those European states who have signed up have to provide their employees with a minimum of four weeks leave. In UK law, that's implemented by the working time regulations. So what the working time regulations are the applicable regulations when it comes to holiday. And these were introduced in October 1998, so not that long ago really. And when it was introduced, employees had the right at that time to four weeks leave. And then from November 99, it was increased to four weeks. Then in October 2007, it was increased to 4.8. And then from April 2009, it's 5.6 weeks. So all employees and workers are entitled to 5.6 weeks annual leave. The increase from the four weeks that's set up by Europe to 5.6 is entirely down to the UK government. It's not been dictated to by Europe. And the reason behind it was to include those eight public holidays. Because what was happening is those people who regularly worked on public holidays, so people in the service industries um, and industries that were open all week, we're not actually getting the same level as of holiday as others. So the government introduced 5.6 to include those eight days bank holidays. Although the eight days bank holidays are included, they don't have to be taken on those public holidays. So as long as everybody has what is effectively 28 days for a full-time employee, if they have 28 days paid holiday, then that meets the requirements of the working time regulations. So that's a summary to the background to holiday entitlement. Now, 
The question that led me into this podcast was from an employee who has been working for their employer for approximately eight years and they've not been paid holiday at all in that time. Despite asking their employer if they were entitled to holiday and actually bringing it to their attention on several occasions, the employer's response has been to the employee that because they've got less than five employees, there's no requirement to pay holiday. I was really surprised by this because, as I say, I thought of all the things with employment law, everybody knew that there was a legal entitlement to holiday and that as an employer, you'd have to pay it. I don't know the ins and outs of this employer's business or where they've got their information from, but my client was surprised when I explained what the legal rights were because she said her employer had told her that they'd got advice from their accountant. Now, really, their accountant as a professional should know better. So I don't really know the full story behind it. But what I would say is that if your question is, do I have to pay holiday if I've got less than five employees or I'm a small employer? The answer is, yes, you do. The next frequently asked question that comes up is, do I have to pay holiday for a temporary employee or someone who has just started work? So is there a period of time in which they have to have been employed before they can qualify for holiday rights? Well, the answer to that is, Employees, once they start working, are entitled to holiday regardless of their length of service and regardless of whether they're temporary or regardless of the number of hours they work. So it's an immediate entitlement. Now, of course, for those people who are temporary or have started partway through the holiday year, it will be pro-rated so they don't get their full 5.6 weeks if they're only employed for six months of the year, for instance. But they would have an entitlement now, what you can do in an, in an employee's first year of employment is you can stipulate that they can't actually take their holiday until they've accrued it. And that can only be done in the first year, and that's to prevent a new employee starting and then sort of asking or demanding to take their full holiday entitlement immediately. So you can say, well, you can have holiday in your first year, but you have to wait until you've actually accrued it. And it accrues at one twelfth per month of their full entitlement. Now, the next question is, following on from that, can you stipulate that has to be accrued before taken for other employees, so employees who've been working for you for more than one year? Well, the answer to that question is no. Once somebody has been employed for one year, they're automatically entitled to their full holiday entitlement. There are various terms of the working time regulations that you can vary with the employee by agreement, but you can't actually vary them to their detriment. So you can't have a clause in their employment contract, for instance, which states that they can't take holiday until it's been accrued, because that makes them worse off than actually what the working time regulations state. What you can do, however, is state when leave can be taken and when it can't. You can put into your employment contracts or your holiday policies stipulations about times of the year of when you can take it and when you can't and I've got quite a lot of employers who work seasonally and for them their busiest time of the year is the summer and the last thing they want is for all their employees to be taking holiday during their busiest time so they have stipulations in their contract which set out times of the year when holiday can't be taken. Now that would be a relevant agreement which amends the working time regulations 
of course, if you have that stipulation in your contracts, it's still at your discretion. And that's what I say to my clients and my clients say to their employees is that yes, standard position is you can't take holiday. However, if there is some exception or some particular reason, then we will consider that on a case by case basis. And as long as you apply that fairly, then you can use your discretion to vary that. Now, what if you don't actually have anything in your contracts or your holiday policies? We don't have a holiday policy. How do you go about dealing with the right to take holiday and notice and that sort of thing? Well, the default position under the working time regulations is that an employee is required to give you twice the period of notice that they intend to take. So if somebody wants to take five days holiday, for instance, they need to give you notice of 10 days. And at that point, they're allowed to take those five days holiday if they give you the required notice. Now, as an employer, if that doesn't work for you, you can refuse by serving them a counter notice, which must be at least twice as many days as the days you're refusing. So practically, if an employee asks for five days off and they give you 10 days notice, but it doesn't work for you, and you say, well, really, you know, we only want you to take two days that week and you can't take three of those. As long as you give the employee six days counter notice that they can't take those three days, then that's sufficient as well. Now, you can see why it could be quite confusing for both employers and employees, which is why I always recommend that you have some stipulation in your contracts about how notice and holiday will work. As an employer, you can also require employees to take holiday at a particular time, and that's covered by the working time regulations. Um, again, it's twice as much notice. So if you want to, say, put an, an employee on holiday and you don't have anything in their contract about it, you can give them twice as much notice. So if you need them to take five days off again, then you can give them 10 days notice that they should take their holiday on those particular days. As I say, it's not ideal to revert back to the working time regulations for all these provisions. So it is important to have something in place, a relevant agreement, which covers holiday to suit the needs of your business. And I would definitely recommend that. Another frequently asked question comes about is in relation to the carrying over of holiday. Now, can holiday be carried over? Well, by agreement, it can. So if the employee says, well, I, I really can't take all of my leave in this leave year, can I carry over a couple of days? Then as the employer, you can agree with them to do so. But what you can't do as the employer is force them to carry leave over. There are some circumstances in which an employee will be compelled to carry leave over. And that's where they're unable to take it due to maternity leave or sick leave or some other parental leave. So if they've taken shared parental leave and they can't take their holiday in your holiday year, then they are allowed to carry it over and take it when they return. And there have been some cases, which I've reported on, um, where if somebody can't take their holiday for a particular reason, um, it's beyond their control and they can't take their holiday, then they may be allowed to carry it over. Of course, this is at your discretion as well. And so you can take a view on that if you want to agree with the employee to allow them to carry it over. So as I was saying there about maternity leave and sick leave, this is a question that has arisen in case law and I've covered it in the episode 25 of the podcast about sickness and holiday, if you want to listen back to that. But essentially, when somebody is off sick or when they're on maternity leave, shared parental leave or paternity leave, or adoption leave, then they are allowed 
to continue to accrue their holiday and take it when they come back. Now, for some employers, they find this quite difficult to grasp, as in, you know, why should they continue to accrue holiday when they're not at work anyway? Well, the purpose of the working time directive is to ensure that everybody has paid time off to rest. And when they're sick or maternity leave, it's not considered to be a rest period. Hence why they can continue to accrue it and have it when they come back. Now, a hot topic also on this issue is about holiday pay and how do you pay for holiday or how do you calculate how much you pay when someone is on holiday? Well, it's quite a complicated issue, so I'm not going to go into it in great depth here. I have covered this in some blog posts, which I'll link to in the show notes, which you can find at adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 48. But essentially, you need to refer to the Employment Rights Act, which stipulates what a week's pay is and how you calculate a week's pay. Now, the calculation of a week's pay depends on a couple of factors. Whether the employee has normal working hours, whether the employee has no normal hours, or whether they have normal working hours but they don't have normal pay. Now, depending on their circumstances is how you calculate their week's pay for the purposes of working out holiday pay. Now, for those who have normal working hours, so let's just say they work Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and they're paid a salary, which is the same every month, then that's fairly easy. You pay the normal rate that they would receive if they were at work. Now, if they don't have normal hours, so let's just say they work shifts or they have normal working hours, so they work Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, but their pay varies depending on the hours that they work, then you take the last 12 weeks so prior to the date when their holiday is, and you calculate that the average for the week's pay. Now, there have been, as I said, a number of cases about um, holiday pay which have gone to the European Courts of Justice and have been dealt with in the employment tribunals, and it continues to be rolling on because it hasn't actually been defined and finalised. But it's about commission and bonus payments and overtime. What has been decided is that it really does depend upon the nature of the payments to the employee as to whether they're included for the purposes of a week's pay and whether they are normal pay and intrinsically linked to their normal pay. If those payments for overtime, commission, bonus are intrinsically linked and they form part of an employee's normal pay, then my advice to you would be to include those in the calculation for working out their payments while they're on holiday. The reason this came about was because a gentleman was paid a basic salary, but most of his salary was made up of commission. And when he went on holiday, there was no incentive for him to take his holiday because he was losing quite a lot of money whilst he was on holiday. Again, this goes back to the purpose of the working time directive, which is that it's to encourage people to have that rest break, which means then for the purposes of the four week period, which is dictated to by European law, I would recommend, strongly recommend that you review how much you're paying employees. Now, you might decide that you want to do it for the full 5.6 weeks because administratively it might be difficult for you. But because the extra 1.6 weeks is governed by um, UK law, it's a slightly different position. Until the issue is resolved and a definitive formula for calculating holiday pay is decided, then I would recommend that you look at each case on a case-by-case basis, depending on the employee's circumstances, and make a decision that way. 
if you have a number of employees whose salary package is made up of various things, including commission, bonus and overtime, then you might want to set out a policy for your organisation and decide upon that now. And that's certainly something I can advise you on if you want to go down that route. And I would certainly recommend that you at least explore what you're paying your employees now. Okay, the next frequently asked question is, can I pay in lieu of holiday? So I don't really want my employees taking holiday during the holiday year because we're too busy and I can't afford for people to be away. Can I just pay them in lieu? So the answer to that is no. And I would strongly recommend that you don't follow that practice and that you ensure your employees have relevant rest breaks as required by law. There are a number of issues you could run into in terms of your liability in if the employees become unwell or they suffer with exhaustion, etc. So I would strongly recommend that your employees have regular breaks. And as I say, you can't pay them in lieu of holiday. You can, however, pay them in lieu of holiday on the termination of their employment. So if their employment ends and they have accrued holiday, which they haven't taken, then you are required to pay them for that. What you can do if you'd rather not pay for holiday in lieu is include a clause within your employment contracts which states that employees must take any outstanding holiday during their notice period. So if an employee has only got a week's notice requirement and they've got two weeks left, you can stipulate that they take their holiday in that final week and then you'd only have to pay them in lieu of one week. Where employees have longer notice periods, like a month, then it works out better and you can actually say, well, rather than me paying you in lieu, I want you to take that during your notice. But you can only do so as long as there is a clause in their contract or if you don't have any particular agreements, it complies with the requirements for notice under the working time regulations. As I say, you can give them twice as much notice, which might not be relevant or easy to do when someone's giving their notice in, but it's worth considering anyway. So I've talked about paying in lieu and the fact that you can't actually pay employees in lieu of their holiday. What about rolled up holiday pay? Now, I know that this is a practice that still goes on, particularly where employers have casual staff and it can be difficult to keep a handle on what somebody's accrued and what holiday they can take and their pay and all that sort of thing. Now rolled up holiday pay is where instead of paying an employee when they're off on holiday they are paid amount each month which is designated as being for their holiday so it's spread over the course of a year. Now for some employees this can be quite helpful and they quite like having that additional amount in their pay packet every month. And that's, you know, for seasonal workers um, and casual workers, it can work really well for them. But uh, my advice is always to try and steer clear of this way of doing it. It's been ruled to be contrary to the working time directive to do this and to pay rolled up holiday pay. And the European Court of Justice stated in a case about this that member states must take measures to ensure that practices are not allowed. So employers can't be paying their employees rolled up holiday pay. Technically rolled up holiday pay is unlawful but there isn't really any effective remedy in relation to this so it's not likely to be enforced currently if you're paying rolled up holiday pay unless an employee takes the position that they want to pursue a claim and then it could result in you having to pay over and above what you're already paying for holiday. 
So my advice, as I say, I'll go back to my advice, is that you should avoid rolled up holiday pay schemes. You should look at other ways of dealing with the administrative issues of holiday and ensure that employees are paid when they actually take their holiday. If, for any reason, you continue with the rolled up holiday pay scheme and you decide, well, it works for me and the employees, they're not going to complain, I'll just carry on, just make sure, at the very least, that those employees are taking their rest breaks. So they might be paid monthly for their holiday. Make sure they're taking their 5.6 weeks holiday and that it's being recorded that they're actually having those rest breaks. Okay, the final question is about part-time staff and bank holidays. Now, this is another question that arises fairly often and it's how do you deal with bank holidays for part-time staff for those who don't work for instance, on a Monday. So in a part-time person who doesn't work on a Monday and you close on a bank holiday and everybody else has that day off, they're not actually getting that day off. So it could be that if you have that practice in your organisation, that the part-time employee could argue that they're being treated differently to their full-time counterparts. So my advice in relation to part-time employees is have a look at how you're dealing with their holiday pay and holiday entitlement and ensure that they are getting the same entitlement pro rata as their full-time colleagues. So they might actually have the same amount of holiday leave, but if you then give everybody bank holidays off on top of that and they're not getting that, then that could be to their detriment. So I'd definitely recommend you check your policy on part-time workers and bank holidays. There's a number of frequently asked questions there about holiday pay and a real whistle stop through um, holiday pay issues and holiday entitlement issues. So what I should stipulate is that you've got the holiday entitlement and holiday pay are um, linked but can be separate issues that can cause difficulty for you. So if you have any problems with holiday pay or holiday entitlement then you should certainly seek some advice and I'd be happy to answer any specific questions that you have. If you drop me an email, it's alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. And if you're looking for a calculator to work out somebody's entitlement to holiday, so if you've got somebody who has irregular hours or who works part-time or starting partway through the year and you want to get that calculation done, There is a calculator, a really, really helpful calculator on the .gov website and I'll put a link in my show notes which you can find at adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 48 and on there you can basically put in the information and it comes out with what their entitlement is. It's a really good tool to use and there is also some further guidance on there. And in my show notes, I will also link to my other podcast episodes about holiday or that have covered holiday issues. And that's episodes 10 and 25 and 47. And as I say, I've got a number of articles in my blog about holiday. If you want to have a look for those or have a read up, if you just type in um, holiday in the search bar, then it will bring up those for you. So hopefully I've answered some of your questions, cleared up some issues and given you some food for thought. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week and don't forget to contact me if you have any questions.
This episode of the Employment Law and HR podcast is brought to you by the HR Harbour. The HR Harbour is an essential portal for any managers, business owners or HR professionals who have a number of staff working under them and who need somewhere to keep their personnel records and to have a useful database of information and template letters to refer to. If you'd like more information about HR Harbour or you would like to arrange a no-obligation demonstration, then you can contact me. It's alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.